Welcome to episode six of the Recommended Experiences podcast, the podcast where our three pharmacists and an engineer talk about their love for movies, games, and TV shows. Uh, this episode, we are taking a little bit of a different twist. I think the focus will be a shorter episode, and I'm saying this on air just to keep me uh, you know, accountable in case it does run long. But uh, with me, I'm your host for this episode, by the way, Alex, and with me are my co-hosts, Matt. Hey. Tiffany. Hello. And Yasser. What up? <laughs> and to, <laughs> to <laughs> begin this episode, I kind of want to go over some recent news. As kind of our previous episodes have presented, um, we are in the uh, run up to next generation and obviously the big three or in particular Xbox and Sony are still, you know, cranking out the news about uh, their next gen machines and the hype we can expect when we get them and play them. And in particular uh, last week, uh, Sony had released the PS five teardown video and more specifically what I'm interested in about in this video, and it's more of the technical side. So, you know, I'll explain some of the terms as we go along. But uh, in particular was the cooling solution uh, that the PS5 is using and the probably or is the main reason as to why the PS5 is the biggest console ever produced, at least volume wise. And I want to start off with the use of liquid metal. So liquid metal is what Sony's using as the TIM uh, for their console. And for those that don't know, TIM stands for thermal interface material. So typically, you know, in most PCs uh, that you have probably built yourself or that you use on a daily basis, there is thermal paste that's applied between your processor and your heatsink. And essentially what this thermal paste is being applied between the two units is essentially increasing the contact surface area between the processor and the thermal conducting unit in order to increase heat transfer uh, between the two units and therefore, you know, keeping your processor as cool as possible. And what's interesting is with uh, liquid metal is that, so the liquid metal is a known material that's, you know, more effective at conducting thermal uh, thermals between the components. However, as the name implies, it is liquid at room temperature and therefore is very hard to contain. And it you know, basically has the danger of leaking out of your uh, processor and essentially, you know, shorting your motherboard. And so the fact that Sony has gone to this great length of using liquid metal as its uh, TIM is actually really, you know, in terms of consumer products, impressive, but also begs the question of how potentially volatile this machine might be looking into the future, you know, five, six, seven years down the line of are we going to have to replace this? And if we are, you know, this isn't something that your typical, you know, consumer is going to be able to do on their own. And in addition to using liquid metal to help keep the PS5 processor cool, they are utilizing a conventional but also very massive heatsink. If you see the size of this heatsink, this is very massive compared to traditional heatsinks you might see in PCs. Um, in terms of raw surface area, this thing is basically the reason why the PS5 is as large as it is. The fact that they've gone so much, at least on the engineering perspective, to incorporate all of these elements to make it, you know, potentially the quietest and also 
hopefully coolest running system that they've produced. I just wanted, what were your guys' thoughts on just the visuals of this thing, you know, seeing it broken apart? Like, I'll be... I thought... Oh, go ahead, Tiffany. Oh, well, um, I was just going to say that when I saw that the liquid metal was a part of its uh, structure, I was like, man, that looks really expensive. And to me, I just felt like they must be... Sony must be really taking a loss on any revenue from the console itself because of all of its parts. And I think the only other thing that I kind of noticed, only because I don't have that much of an engineer's view, is that the stand requires you to use a screwdriver to like move it on its side or put it on the other side, I guess. Or like basically standing up or laying or standing vertically or laying horizontally. And so that was kind of a bummer. I don't know. I I mean, obviously, like once I set up my console, I'm not going to be like moving it around a lot, but it just like an extra thing to like have to use to like set it up the way that I want just was kind of like, oh, okay, I guess this is an extra step. But I think it would have been nice if it didn't need um, like that extra screw or something. Because like, what if I what do I do if I don't need it? Or well, I saw it had a little pocket in the stand, but. Yeah, yeah, like, they, they solved that. The simple small screw compartment built into the stand, so you yeah. don't lose the screw. Like, do you have a screwdriver, Tiffany? Sort of. Sort. Of. Okay. I, I think <laughs> at this point in our lives, that is that a butter knife? Most, is that what you mean? Most people should have a flathead screwdriver just as part of your, you know, living. You know, it's, you have a flashlight, you have a flathead. Easy as that. Tiffany, what about this? When I pick up my digital PS5 from you, <laughs> I will bring a screwdriver and we will set up your PS5 to your liking <laughs> and then I will leave <laughs> and set up my own. <laughs> we can work this out. Okay, um, I, thanks. Like, I feel like a lot of people had a big complaint about the screw um, on Twitter or whatever. I, I didn't really see that as a huge deal. Like To be honest, a lot of what was shown was way over my head. Like This liquid metal you know, nonsense, like liquid metal sounds like a pretty good band name. <laughs> like that's what my mind was going to, uh, during the, during the show. Like it's, it's cool. Like it, it looks awesome. Um, and I will trust Alex and everyone else that says that it's, you know, a, a big deal. Um, and yeah, the, the massive heat sink is something that you can totally tell. Like this, this thing is a big boy. Like I, I honestly, I'm looking at my tv stand right now and i have no idea where to put it like i think it's just gonna have to go on the side of the tv because it just will not fit anywhere else um but you know i i'm coming in i never had a ps4 but the biggest thing that i've heard is that you know you play some of these big games and it sounds like you have a a freighter going through your living room yes and so yes so it's like okay (laughs) that sounds terrible and if this is the way to not let that happen cool Put as many massive heat sinks as you want. You want some liquid metal? Sure. Like, put it all. I just don't want it to be making any noise. Yeah, that was basically my question after watching the video is, okay, so is the console going to sound like a jet engine when I'm playing Mm Spider-Man? Or is it going to be quiet like I want it to be? And it seems like it's going to be quiet because you don't do all that stuff without keeping that in mind. It seems like that's why they're doing this, because I didn't hear that many reports about the PS4 ever overheating or anything like that. 
but everyone complained about the jet engine sounds that the PS4 ended up making, especially down the line as you owned a PS4 a little bit longer. Um, and it seemed like the original PS4 Pro had that um, sound, like fan sound issue as well. Um, so it, it sounds like at least PS5 will be quiet, which you love to hear. <laughs> you love to not hear. Or not, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, and I mean, as part of the teardown too, uh, you probably saw, so the entire backside is exhaust venting for the system. Um, and that runs the whole length of the console. So all 15 inches is exhaust venting. And the top portion of the console is actually the air intake portion where, you know, the uh, 120 millimeter f- double-sided single fan is used to pump air through the system. Now, this is also a massive fan. So the fact that it's much bigger, and this is much bigger if you go watch um, PS4, PS4 Pro teardown videos uh, that Sony's posted uh, this fan is much larger than those fans. And essentially, there's kind of like three design principles in general with fans or I guess things in, you know, in engineering um, speak in that, you know, you can have it powerful, small, or quiet. And you can only pick two of the three. So in this case, it's hopeful that, you know, the fan's big and the fan's, you know, the fan's powerful and the fan is quiet. And thus, it can't be small and so hopefully with how massive that fan is too, that that's, uh, that allows the system to run whisper quiet. Um, but you know, fingers crossed, we won't know until we get the systems in our hands. Sony, if you're listening, I wouldn't mind a review system early. <laughs> you, you, you can contact us at, uh, rxp.podcast at gmail.com and let us know, you know, we, we wouldn't mind, uh, giving a more in-depth review prior to the launch. <laughs> Our listeners want to know. Right. <laughs> and moving on to the second point. So, you know, we, we talked a bit about what Sony's uh, revealed further since the last time uh, we had the show. And also Microsoft's gone ahead and given us some additional information as well for the for next generation. And in particular, there's kind of two features I wanted to highlight. So one is more recent in that. They have announced that they are providing cloud saves, so online cloud saves for Xbox 360 consoles for free. Uh, Starting, I don't know if it's gone, if it's live now, if it's going live within the next week or so. But it's something that they introduced as a free uh, uh, feature with the Xbox One, and but for 360, it was actually paid as part of the Xbox Gold subscription. And so it's nice to see that, you know, with, in addition to the other news we're going to talk about that Microsoft has, you know, further gave us more details on, that they are looking to really promote backwards compatibility on the Series X and Series S and in efforts to make this the most, you know, accessible platform, they are further providing you to transfer your saves from, for those people that are still playing on 360 out there, from your 360 to series X and S and continue playing those games, you know, with updated visuals and performance. And on the note of updated visuals, this is something that I'm actually particularly interested in that they mentioned before, but it was a recent article that Microsoft published was, uh, the implementation of HDR or what is known as high dynamic range 
for older games that did not have or where the technology did not exist back then. And what high dynamic range is for those that don't know is essentially a broader color palette that allows you to get, you know, in simpler terms, wider whites and blacker blacks and essentially allows the your TV display, you know, if it's HDR um, capable to present a wider contrast of colors where shadows look much darker and much more realistic and light looks much brighter and basically overall adds to the, a more realistic representation of what the image quality should be, um, which, you know, is something that's been in smartphones of recent, you know, the Samsung line of phones and Apple phones have really pushed this in their camera technology as well. And so it's, it's nice to see that Microsoft is looking to not only bring these games forward, but also really double down on making these games look better and perform better than they ever have been. Yeah, I thought out of the features that Xbox did announce in that little article um, that you're mentioning, um, I thought Auto HDR is definitely the biggest one, uh, the one that's more exciting for me, um, because that's really where you can see um, a like significant difference in games that were played in the previous gen that didn't necessarily have HDR. When you're implementing that over, it seems like the quality of the auto HDR is comparable to what you'd see with a game that implemented it um, with that vision in mind when they first started. So it's gonna be really interesting to see that in in action. Um, I heard uh, from a developer of Halo 5 that didn't have HDR uh, that when they implemented it onto, onto that game, it looked spectacular. So I want to see how that looks on all the different games, um, starting with next, next gen. So that, that one was pretty cool. Um, as far as the other things that they talked about, uh, like the, the frame rates and um, the resolution bump that the Series S got with Fallout, uh, those are kind of harder to really distinguish especially when you're looking at a youtube video like they did a youtube video yeah. trying to show you the difference between 60 frames and 120 frames per second and you're just not going to see that difference on a youtube video you'll notice it if your tv or your uh, monitor has a refresh rate of at least 120 frames per second but obviously you're not going to notice it just by going through the video or going through the screenshots there yeah like this is this is all good news like this is especially for game pass which is like ever growing and so to have just this much more support of backwards compatibility um like this is this is good news like especially if you have like a huge backlog which i feel like all of us do um but i i actually the same you know the same article like mentioned fusion frenzy and man that like going all the way back to the og xbox getting some love and like it it does like just on the like few screenshots we got like you can definitely tell the difference of just having a little bit of HDR in there. Um, so this is all good news. Like this is this is just another thing to pad, you know, Xbox's case for next gen as being something, you know, just an added benefit. Yeah, well, and I'm glad that the PlayStation's gonna be coming on board with the backwards compatibility this generation uh, as like a, as a main feature of their console. Uh, and that's kind of, um, it goes along with some of the more recent news that we've seen out of both Xbox and PlayStation, where they started announcing more specifics about what their com back compatibility libraries are going to look like. And it seems like for both consoles, you're going to have 99% of your games 
backwards compatible uh, from PS4 to PS5 and Xbox One to uh, the Series X. So that's really exciting to see that it's going to be fairly seamless going into next generation. That's kind of what I assumed, but I'm just glad that they finally announced that. And like PlayStation, yeah, I their, agree. Oh, their list was only ten games that weren't backwards compatible for the PS5. And like, if you look at the list of games, I don't have it up, but like, these are games that none of us will likely go back to or want to go back to. I think PlayStation was kind of cryptic for a long time about how much backwards compatibility that they were going to do, um, but to see that. It's basically all of them except for 10 smallish games. Um, that's all good news. Yeah, I was really excited, especially since the last episode we were talking about how we just weren't sure about what was going on with backwards compatibility based on uh, specific game developers or just Sony in general. So I was really happy to see that they finally released a list of what what is and what is not compatible. Okay. And so now to move on to the main topic of this episode... And that is mini games or puzzles, you know, the, the games within the games that we enjoy, the distractions from the main story, any sort of kind of sideshow that you're like, ooh, what's this shiny thing? I don't care about what you have to say. I just want to go do this weird small task and be happy. Um, and so, yeah, mini games. What just to start off in general, what are your guys' thoughts? Like, do you love them? Do you hate them? Do you think they detract from how a game's designed? Do you think they add to it? I don't think that they detract from a game since normally they're kind of almost like side quests. So it's really uh, optional if you wanted to partake in a mini game. I personally enjoy several mini games. Um, there's some games that I don't enjoy. Some of the mini games that they've incorporated, but again, like I'll just I'll just not play it. Uh, there's a couple that I want to talk about today. So I have a passion for fishing mini games <laughs> in video games. I can't explain it in real life. To be honest with the audience, I've never fished. The idea of fishing doesn't really sound that appealing to me in real life. Like waking up super early, getting on a boat, going somewhere, and then putting bait on a line and then waiting for the fish to come to you. Like that doesn't really sound that relaxing to me. However, you give me a fishing spot in a video game, I am there for hours. Um, A couple of the games that I enjoy fishing in, uh, number one, of course, Animal Crossing. I think that's pretty, I mean, that's pretty, that's like the most basic of fishing mini games and uh, I think it's really cute and I like it. Spirit Fair has a pretty good fishing mini game. They even have challenging fish, uh, which I re- honestly I had to look up how to catch like a tuna effectively because I I just couldn't. It kept it just kept escaping and I was like I don't know how to get this fish, <laughs> so I had to look up help. And then another uh, Nintendo game that has fishing that I had very much enjoyed and was a very nice surprise with Fire Emblem Three Houses. Yes. When that game had, fi- I was like, why does this game need fishing? But you know what? I'm here for it. Um, so I really like that. Uh, also, I really like cooking in, in video games. Better than mama. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, I can't. <laughs> but um, so one of the, I think the best cooking mini game that I can talk about is the steak cooking game in super mario party 
that i mean granted super mario party is just full is just like chock full of a bunch of great mini games but i love that steak pan <laughs> mini game in that game you guys it has like a really good um like aesthetic like they tried really hard it's it looks like, like photorealistic steak yeah and you know hands off that's the best mini game in super mario party you heard it first go play that mini game is that it's amazing is that when you have like the controller out the joy con okay. out and you tilt it around in the pan and have to like flip it like mm-hmm. cook it yes. even yep oh yeah yes. that one's good that one's real good that's yeah and then um i think an honorable mention for a mini game is so i played final fantasy 7 remake this year and they had a darts mini game that i had a lot of fun with hmm. uh, it literally <laughs> is just throwing darts <laughs> <laughs> on a dartboard that was just a side like just an option it was in the um the seventh heaven bar and so like there was just a dartboard there and so i just threw darts for a little bit trying to get the highest score just because and it was fun i've never i'm not actually i'm not good at darts in real life um so this made me feel accomplished okay wait so a question for you yes sorry so you mentioned fishing in a lot of these different games what's the like ultimate goal of these mini games in the various settings that you mentioned? Like, why is it there and why do you feel accomplished other than just doing it? Yeah, so in Spirit Fair and Animal Crossing, it literally is just catch all the different types of fish. And so that's just like a collect-a-thon situation. And I'm, I'm into that sometimes, like into collecting all the items. So I liked... Oh, it's like in Animal Crossing, they do seasonal, obviously like seasonal fish. Like, oh, in June... July and August, you can catch sharks in mm. Animal Crossing. So, like, I try to go collect a bunch of different sharks. Um, another mini game, or like another game that actually has fishing in it that I forgot to mention is Final Fantasy 15. And in that game, the fishing actually lets you. Well, I guess it's the same as Spirit Fair. Like, you collect the fish to cook, so it combines two of my favorite things into <laughs> items that can give that increase your health. Or give you stat boosts. Hmm. So I like that it's helping me accomplish other tasks by letting me catch fish and then cook it into something that will give me a buff. Granted, okay, the Spirit Fairy doesn't give you a buff. But I like the catching the fish and cooking the fish. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so that's our efficient segment for the night. <laughs> Actually, like, just to add on, so I've been, like, really into Hades since our last episode. Like, I probably down as soon Please as we talk about it. tell me there's fishing in Hades. Oh, there is. Oh, my God. It, no, wait, there no, is. Way. no there way. Is. No, yeah. you're lying. She's I'm not loading lying. the eShop right now. <laughs> listen, <laughs> listen, Hades is amazing. And I don't even want to get into it because you said this episode's going to be short. So we're going to have to save this for later, I guess. But Hades is so good. And when they had a fishing pole in one of the like shops, I was like, what? This makes no sense like at all that you'll be fishing. But man, does it work. Like it's um, you have like a little chef in your like base camp <gasps> there's cooking no there's not there's not cooking. Oh. yeah stop the hype oh. train <laughs> um 
you, hold the brakes. Yeah, hold the brakes. It's not that good. Um, but you you get the fish and like you're in hell, obviously, and um, like in the deeper depths of hell, you're like catching all these like undead fish, and then basically the closer and closer you get to the surface, um. Like, you start seeing regular fish, like, more regular fish. It's just really clever, but you, the more, like, further upstream, I guess, uh, you catch the fish, the more they're worth. So, you turn them into the chef, and he gives you, like, all these things that you can use to strengthen up your character. And it's, like, just pure joy and excitement when I see something sparkling in a river, because I'm like, yes, like, I will get another diamond, or get, like, 20 gems or something else like some something that i'll use to make myself stronger so it like incentivizes it um but it's you know it's just like a it's almost like a quick time like it's you wait for it to bob and go underwater and then you press a and boom like you catch a fish like it's nothing spectacular about the mechanic but it's it's put into a really tough game to where it's like you get valuable resources that you can spend to make your character stronger for the next run so that's definitely been one of my favorite iterations of it because there's also fish games that are not fun. Link's Awakening, like the, the remake, has a fishing game and it's not fun. Like it's just not fun. So there's Why? It's Tiffany like, is offended. Like, there's like a <laughs> fishing mini games are fun, yeah. period. Like it's it's not a, you know, press it at the right time. It's a you see a bunch of fish moving horizontally and you have to like time it right and then you catch it and there's really no reward to it you basically get one item from the fisherman's pond and as soon as you get it you never have to play it again and it's so it's not fun so you just don't um but then they have another mini game which is a trendy game in that in that game which is so much fun it's basically just one of those crane machines and it <gasps> is catchers. so good. Like, it's so much fun. And literally, you're in the same town with that trendy game and the Fisher's Pond that you can tell that the Fisher's Pond is just not fun. Because when there is things on the trendy game that you can collect, man, I'm all about it. And I'm all up in that trendy game, like, trying to get it and sp- spend so much out, so many hours, like, doing it. Um, but then the Fisher's Pond, I'm like, meh. Like, it's, it's no good. But yeah, I do agree. Fire Emblem Three Houses, so good. It was so good in that game. And this is wild because I don't think I've enjoyed a single fishing mechanic in a video game ever. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Like, I, I guess my experience with fishing, which I, I don't want to have this conversation go longer than it already has, but I've had fishing in Pokemon and Fortnite, and I did not like it in either. So I don't think fair. I share the same... Uh, joy of fishing as you guys do in video games, I guess. <laughs> oh my god, I forgot about fishing in Pokemon. Yeah, it's like a big thing in Pokemon. <laughs> yeah, that's to like catch What are your thoughts Pokemon. of... Oh my god, I can't believe I'm asking this, but what are your thoughts on fishing in Pokemon? I mean, I guess in that instance, again, it's like a collect-a-thon again. I mean, because like you're trying to The catch. whole game is. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, but I guess like I I didn't hate it, but I was like, oh, I don't need a Goldeen. Like, get out of here. Like, <laughs> You'd be happy with a Goldeen. It's usually like a tentacle or a magic Or like carp. a magic carp. Oh, my God. Um, yeah. I, oh, my God. I honestly forgot about it. Um, but 
Yeah, I thought, yeah, I guess I didn't find that fun because, like, in Pokemon, once I got the Pokemon I needed, I would never fished again. Right. Yeah. Because really, they didn't really have an incentive to otherwise. Like, the fishing was just for the Pokemon. It's not like you could get, like, an item or any special interaction, really. And I mm-hmm. think that's that's kind of the differentiating factor between these games is that right it boils down to it's a reaction based game or mini game in that you you know throw the line in and once you see some sort of indicator you press the button and then typically you know some games have like the struggle mechanic where you have to like mash the button or other games like pokemon it's you just click one button and the fishing's over but yeah i think the different takes on it and the way that developers have kind of tried to make it a little bit more interesting um or at least you know incorporate it more so into the game so it's more meaningful i think all kind of even though the base design hasn't changed since its initial you know implementation in games it's people they have found ways to make it you know fun by making it more rewarding than it used to be so all right fishing and cooking very on brand i think we're <laughs> i think we're forming a persona for Tiffany in this fashion. It's very true. What she's really into. Survivalist. Right. <laughs> we know when we have to go out into the wilderness, like she's the one that she's going to be ready. Like, guys, I got this. The moment that the <laughs> the bait bobs under the surface, I'm on it. Reeling oh, it in. That's a very specific scenario there, okay? If she ever has to press a button when a light <laughs> indicator pops up, she is I'm there. It. I feel like there's a fishing rod out there that's like that. Yeah. There has to be. It's like a crossbow, but it's a fishing line. Exactly. It's yeah. just auto reel. Like you see yeah. the light indicate that it was tugged on. So you press the button. It just reels it in really quickly. Perfect. Yeah. Yep. All right. So for me, I guess my take on many games is generally, I think Yasser kind of, uh, ex- uh, explained his view a little bit too is generally I'm not the biggest fan uh, if they don't really contribute to the main game because uh, I really feel like you know I'm playing this game because of kind of a core gameplay mechanic and typically mini games kind of deviate from that and so it's sometimes annoying when if there's something even if it's a small like side quest as others have mentioned or even if it's just a tiny one-time thing you have to do during the main story if it's something that's not fun I feel like it just makes me like the game less because when I think about it I'm like oh yeah I had a really good time except for that one mini game that they made me do that really wasn't that fun but overall typically there there are mini games I do enjoy and in particular it's the ones that are different. So it's the mini games that you typically don't see in other games. And in particular, uh, Tiffany mentioned it. So Final Fantasy 15, it has the fishing mini game, but also uh, what's a little bit more unique to it, as far as I'm aware, is pinball. So uh-huh. there are pinball machines in the diners in the game, and you can actually play pinball. It's called Justice Monsters 5. And it's your typical, at least in the game, it's just a typical pinball machine. Um, But it's just, it's an interesting thing that really, besides, you know, the games that are just pinball games, you don't see often. Um, And what's more interesting is there was actually a mobile version of it. So they did release a mobile version called Justice Monsters 5 that you could download on, you know, Android and iOS when Final Fantasy 15 came out. 
And in that, it was, it was a little bit more uh, complicated. They had more mechanics on the phone version. But still, just the idea that, you know, I enjoy pinball machines. Uh, I play them from time to time. And seeing it in this game, and in this case, it was just completely a diversion, had no impact on the story. You were never forced to do it at any point. It was just there in the diner uh, that you pass through um, as part of the story. And so it really was just up to you if you want to do it. And I really loved it for that fact of just how kind of it existed in the world. And if you wanted to engage with it, you could, otherwise you could just move on with the story. And so I find that really fun. Um, but also the game franchise that is known for its mini games, you know, maybe besides Mario party. Cause you know, who cares about Mario party these days, but oh, is bitch. the, <laughs> is the Yakuza franchise. And so I know, I don't know if anyone else here has played any of the Yakuza games, but in particular, they have some of the greatest mini games you can ever play. Like that, you know, is completely different from the actual gameplay of the, of the core game. And in particular, I wanted to point out, so this game has, it's come up in a bunch of the entries, um, but I was first introduced to it uh, by the first game I play in the series, which is obviously Yakuza Zero, the prequel to everything, and it's um, the a mini game where you play as a cabaret club manager. And so you think you you know you picture the idea of Yakuza, right? You play as a member of the Yakuza, and the, obviously the story is you know kind of dramatic and it involves you know these gangs and violence in Japan and everything. But the idea of this cabaret club manager is that you operate a cabaret club and essentially you hire or you um, bring on hostesses to work in the club. And as you operate the club throughout like one night, so every session takes place over the course of a night, you essentially have to match your hostesses with the preferences of the clientele that come into the club. Yo, you stop. You're basically, (laughs) you're basically a matchmaker. Well, so it's not the sense of they're dating the hostesses, but it's the idea, right? Like in a cabaret club, you're looking to entertain the clients such that they pay lots of money for alcohol. <laughs> right? Are there um, hosts? So, yeah. So the hostesses, you assign the hostesses to the clients. In no, order- are there hostesses and hosts? No, no, there's no hosts. <laughs> oh, my God. That'd be ridiculous to <laughs> <laughs> you you do, you do not hire any hosts um but yeah you you assign the hostesses to the clients based on their preferences so you'll see when the clients come in they have a, a series of attributes related to them and so you'll you know take your hostess and you'll be like oh this hostess meets his preferences so i'll assign that to her or assign her to him and then over the course of the night you'll see they have um faces that indicate how the client is responding to the hostess so if the hostess doesn't match well you can you know swap her out to a different client and bring in a different hostess to take her place um and on top of that in order to meet the variety of clients that could come into the club you can you know essentially personalize the hostesses to skew in different ways so every hostess has kind of a base um inclination towards you know being cute sexy smart you know things of that nature and obviously you can uh change how they look so hairstyles accessories makeup (laughs) in order to have them skew in certain directions in order to meet your client's preferences and so there's this combination of preparation before you start the night to set up your hostesses 
in order to meet a variety of different client, you know, wants or desires. And there's the actual act of during the night, you can, you know, swap out your hostesses and manage who's with who, who, you know, and there's uh, what they call the, I think, I forget the actual term, but it's basically like a party time, uh, like fever mode, where if, if you have a particular hostess that's well matched with a particular client, you can activate the fever mode and it basically increases the amount of money that the client spends during that time. Nice. Um, and it's what you expect it to be where it's it's pretty jokey it's it's not i wouldn't say it's degrading in any way to the women because they don't show anything it's just kind of like you're it's a stretched out view of the club and you just see the people sitting at a table talking to each other and kind of the moods via emotes over their heads so there's no kind of like exploitation or anything going on right it's all pretty wholesome um, and actually f- it ties into some of the other side quests in the game where some of the hostesses you hire are unlocked via doing that hostesses related side quest story. So in order to actually expand your cabaret club operations, you have to go out and do the other side quests, which gets you to experience the game more in order to get more hostesses to progress its storyline. And there's an actual storyline related to the whole side quest as well, typically, um, which is along the lines of you're a kind of bottom of the barrel cabaret club that's struggling to make ends meet and you're hired and brought in to, you know, manage the club and bring it and make it one of the best clubs in town essentially. And yeah, it's just a good time. It's something that I, when I first saw that it was a mini game, I had no idea what to expect of it. I never saw this. I never saw anything like this in other games, but then when you play it, it just gives you that feeling of, oh, this is actually really fun. And I ended up spending 10 hours playing just this like side story slash mini game, like of, of, you know, in order to see the end of its quest line. And it's just something like something like that, that really makes, makes me love the Yakuza franchise because of things like that. Yeah. It seems like those mini games that you mentioned with Yakuza seem pretty well thought out. Um, and they kind of, incorporate the mini games into the like world overall game. story yeah the world itself yeah. uh within the game which i i feel like i really appreciate um if you're gonna have a mini game that has nothing to do with potentially the main story i feel like it's important that it's well fleshed out and that it's fun on its own and then you can kind of incorporate it into the story uh kind of as you go but it really has to be fleshed out for it to actually work in that kind of context and i think we we've kind of talked about this outside of the podcast before but i think that's what made gwent so good in the witcher series as well is that gwent was an awesome mini game that could have been well and we kind of realized afterwards that it's good enough to be its own game on its own uh, where you actually saw the spin-off after the witcher 3 where they made an actual Gwent series with um, just the free-to-play Gwent as well as Thronebreaker that was also Gwent-based. So having a mini game that's basically its own entire game, but it kind of incorporates settings and characters from the game itself that potentially help you get more introduced to the characters and gives you at least something to do during the downtime when you don't want to just complete missions over and over again. 
I feel like I appreciate those types of implementations of mini games more than, say, uh, fishing to get food or something like that. Those seem more cumbersome, in my opinion, rather than like actually useful to have in the game. Um, but then there's also other mini games that I've experienced, like in Red Dead Redemption when I was playing that, um, where it's really kind of dumb. Like <laughs> you can play poker, you can play uh, like a lot of these weird mini games, like also dominoes and um, five finger roulette. Well, there's a bunch of different things that you can play that are not that fun. But what makes it interesting in that context is the characters that you're playing with, at least when I uh, was playing it, you were playing these mini games with characters at your camp. So while the mini game isn't that interesting in itself, um, as you're playing, you're learning more about the characters themselves. They start telling you jokes about um, like some sort of situation that they came across while they were in town the other day, or they tell you some weird story about one of the other crewmates that you uh, didn't know about before. Um, so I really liked it in that context where you're kind of building the world by introducing backstory to some of the characters that you're supposed to be attached to that you don't really get attached to by just playing the missions themselves. Um, so it's a cool way to kind of wind down and also have some fun. And there's some like good dialogue that they introduced uh, that was just funny in general in the Red Dead Redemption minigames. So those are the types of minigames that I usually um, am encouraged to play versus the other types of minigames. Uh, like, I don't know. There's a lot of different other minigames that I've had in games that I really haven't enjoyed and really haven't really taken the time to bother with. But when they incorporate story elements to the game and they're actually entertaining on their own, that's when I actually appreciate minigames being introduced. Yeah, you also actually remind me, uh, despite me having such high praise for the Yakuza franchise as a whole, and especially its minigames, the one minigame I cannot get behind in Yakuza is Rishi Mahjong, which is like the actual like ver- like the actual version of Mahjong, which you know is t- the tile based, not not the tile matching that some of you might have played on you know windows pc it's not that's not real mahjong okay what it's just like memory that's like the memory version of mahjong yeah no that's not real mahjong but like the actual like table mahjong with the tiles with four players just and it's not the fact that it's actual mahjong in minigame form but i just don't understand it it's too complicated for my pea-sized brain to understand how to play and so I always hate whenever, I mean, they've backed off on it in later games, but it was sometimes incorporated in the earlier games where you'd have to play like one round and even playing the one round of Mahjong, I'm like, get me out of here. I don't want to, like, why? I just don't get it. I don't understand Mahjong. So if if anyone out there understands it and can explain to me actually how to play it, maybe I'll I'll enjoy it. Write in at rxp.podcast at gmail.com. Um, but other than that, you know, that that's that's the one I would say I hate the most. And also I forgot to mention as an honorable mention um, in Persona 5 Royal and this they have a card game in the Phantom Thieves hideout. And this card game goes by many names, but I knew it as Capitalism. Uh, you might have heard of it as President or 
some variation of it where there's essentially four players or more, uh, but typically four players and you, it's a card game. So you use a standard deck of 52 cards and essentially uh, players take turns putting down cards, a certain number of cards of a value. And the following player has to put down the same number of cards of a equal or higher value. So let's say the first player puts down a single three. The second player has down has to put down either um, another single three or four or higher. And that's a game that I played a lot during my high school years, you know, in the cafeteria during lunch or before school started uh, when we got there, you know, off the buses and seeing that this was the first game I've ever seen this implemented as a mini game. And even though I played and thoroughly enjoyed persona five, the base version, just for this mini game, I was contemplating getting persona five Royal just so I could play that in the game. Because it was the first time I've ever seen it. So I also freaking love capitalism. When I was in high school, I had the same you know memories. We played that a lot. Uh, another game that actually has capitalism that I've actually wasted hours on is Nintendo's Clubhouse Games 51 Worldwide Classics. One of their games. Well, in that game, they call it President. But I downloaded the Nintendo um, eShop demo for Clubhouse 51 games. And... They're of the four demo games, President was one of them. And I'm not wow. going to lie, I played that for at least three hours across a week one time, <laughs> like when I first got that demo. And I played against three NPCs. Um, I think I think you're, you can play with other people if someone owns the game. Like if I own the demo and... Like if Matt had the actual game, we probably could have played online. Um, so basically what I'm saying is, is when I buy this game, all of y'all are getting the demo and we're going <laughs> to play President. <laughs> but good. not, but dude, those NPCs like wrecked me. I was like, I think I won <laughs> 10% of the time and I played like 30 games or something, but I was having a blast. I was like, man, this feels like memory, like memories. And they also had different rules that I had not like played before, like variations and rules, I guess, that you could like tweak. But yeah, I liked President or Capitalism a lot. Just a simple card game, you know? So I guess I have two examples from two of my like favorite games of all time. Um, one is good and one is bad. Um, so the first Bioshock game, which is excellent, like hopefully everyone's played that or attempted who hasn't it's... played bioshock one i haven't oh, oh no it's so good now it's that, very good now that we have a uh, backwards compatible <laughs> you should you should play it sometime um <laughs> okay. it's well, and the collections out so no excuse yeah it's so good um one of the best games of all time anyway there's a there's a feature in it um where you can you can go to certain vending machines get certain items um and of course like you have varying amounts of money or you know you might be in a different situation where you don't have as much money to afford everything you can actually hack those machines and the hacking mechanism for it is basically just like a bunch of pipes where you have to line them up so that the stream goes from start to finish um and it i love that yeah 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 and it, it and a lot of games have something similar to it yeah yeah um, spider-man had that oh really i forgot okay. about that yeah <laughs> spider-man 2018 i can't wait yeah, to play yeah, it in yeah. november <laughs> um 
but it, it was the first time that I had, you know, gone through that. And to me, it was it was cool because you, you don't ever have to hack if you don't want to. Um, but the way I liked it was that it incentivizes you that in case of emergency and you need to get something from that vending machine and you can't afford it, like you have another option. You can play this mini game and like it's an, more like an RPG. So you can put more skill points to make the, you know, the difficulty less or, or give you more time or, or whatever. Um, so I kind of liked I, I liked it. it. It was a good mix to where it didn't feel like a mini game. And I had to Google it to make sure that it was technically a mini game because to me it just felt like the core game. Like it was very seamless. It just seemed like something that you would do in that game. One, um, the other example is another game that a lot of us like, which is Kingdom Hearts, um, which is the Gummy Ship. Um, the Gummy <laughs> Ship in Kingdom Hearts One, especially, is just a drag. It's just not. <laughs> It, like, takes the air out of you. So I just finished 100%ing Kingdom... Well, I'm not 100% yet, but um, I'm pretty close to it. Um, actually, no. No, I did finish my 100% run. I'm now doing the easy mode to get a couple more achievements. Um, anyway, um, yeah, I finished I finished it in, like, 10 hours doing, like, a speed run um, to get a specific achievement that you have to beat it within 15. And... Ah, the gummy ship portion of it is just so evident how like lackluster it really is in that first Kingdom Hearts game compared to Kingdom Hearts 3, which I thought that the gummy ship aspect of it was so much better. Like it was like a it was basically like an open world gummy ship mini game adventure. Um, yeah, it's more an adventure. Like it's it seemed like it fit in a Kingdom Hearts game, which was an adventure instead of like this linear track based gummy ship where you shoot things that come to you like some 3D Galaga, but it, you know, wasn't that fun. Um, so I really don't like the gummy ship from Kingdom Hearts 1. I'm glad they changed it around for Kingdom Hearts 3. Um, but the gummy ship just in general for the Kingdom Hearts franchise is always the worst part of each game, in my opinion. Um, but I'm glad that they've kind of changed it around, but Kingdom Hearts 1, going back to it in 2020, man, it's, it's just a drag. It just takes forever and just doesn't feel right. So it's kind of like a good example of, or actually, I guess a bad example of what a mini game could be, where you try to make it a core mechanic and just doesn't have that seamless flow to where it seems like a completely different game. Right. Yeah, that kind of goes back into how well integrated the mini game mm-hmm. is into the actual main game, and is it fun? And that's not necessarily always a yes. Yeah. <laughs> Well, here's hoping with the advent of the next generation that maybe the mini games we've come to love or hate, you know, can take advantage of the new hardware. Maybe there's even new mini games that we've never even thought of, but that can utilize how fast next gen will be that really make us, you know, say, hey, mini games aren't so bad. And, you know, and I can take a minor distraction from trying to kill God to play this card (laughs) game. Or you know, collect this fish. What? <laughs> or something like that. You know, I'm just saying, right? It's like typically JRPGs. Oh, I was uh, like, oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, what game are we talking about? Anyway, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway let us know what mini games you love or hate. Um, and also just let us know if you have any questions about things you want us to talk about or questions for us 
um, that you want us to cover uh, by writing to rxp.podcast at gmail.com. And also you can uh, tweet at us your questions or just comments of feedback on the show by following us on Twitter at rxp underscore podcast. And until next time, thanks for listening. Bye. See ya. Bye. You're basically a matchmaker? <laughs>